Welcome to the Cloudonics CX Verse podcast. In this series, we are exploring everything related to customer experience. Hi, everybody. This is Eric from Cloudonics here with this week's edition of Cloudonics Presents the CX Verse. Today, I'm joined by Alan Piercy, Chief Marketing Officer over at Telco Bridges. How you doing, Alan? Great. Thanks for having me, Eric. My pleasure. Please tell us briefly what Telco Bridges does, just so everybody knows, because I'm not sure everybody in the audience will be familiar with the company. Yeah, no problem. Yep, no, Telco Bridges is a uh, Canadian telecommunications equipment and software development company. Uh, there are about 40 people based uh, across the river from Montreal. And uh, build typically typical products are either media gateways or signaling gateways for service providers. That's the that's the primary market. Uh, they do about 60% of their business in the in North America and about another 20 in Western Europe and MIA, and another 20% or so in uh, Asia. So well respected, high reliability kind of products that have done really really well in the market. And it's been a real pleasure working with them for over the last four and a half years. Nice. Yeah. I have worked with you guys in the past and you guys have an incredible team and some of the friendliest guys to work with. They are. That's true. Uh, I'll call it Canadian, you know, pl- uh, pleasure to work with kind of people, you know, so it's, yes. uh, it's been a genuine pleasure. Not only that, but we have some great customers too that um, really has been a good experience. Okay, so today we're going to talk about customer experience in a shaken, stirred world. Yep. Now, how do you see shaken, stirred changing the world in customer experience? Where were we and where are we today? Sure. Yeah. No, this is an interesting topic because if you kind of step back and you look at, you know, from a big picture about, you know, customer experience, a lot of a lot of end customers or consumers experiences with uh, with the world is through the telephone, right? The telephone has been the dominant way that either you go call for customer support or, you know, you interact with friends and family, these kinds of things. And, you know, over the last 20 years, you know, it somehow has degraded. And one of the big things that really has pushed it to degrade has been, you know, the invention of the illegal robocall, right? Or the robocall period. And uh, it's turned a lot of people off to, you know, landlines and it's caused service providers to, you know, to have to start to change and shift and rethink their strategies when it comes to, to products because people just don't want that landline that, that re- basically just rings with a reminder that their car uh, extended warranty is expired, right? And those kinds of scams. So, you know, the, the consumer or the market has really turned away uh, in droves from the traditional landline. Unfortunately, the mobile market continues um, to grow, but unfortunately, it's also suffering from the uh, from the illegal robocall. You know, I get them on my cell phone all the time. And even amazingly, some of my, you know, published telephone numbers, like Teams calls and things like, you know, the Teams telephone numbers still get these illegal robocalls. And uh, you know, it's a waste of my time. It's a waste of resources. The service providers have to carry this traffic. Uh, so it's, it's you know, nobody likes them. Let's basically just put it that way. Definitely. It, it's been yeah. a hard problem. And 
the way the government kind of said, well, big carriers, you have to do it now, and little carriers are going to give you time, have just kind of changed where the, the traffic is coming from, but not actually killed it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, you know, of course, the first stab was, you know, the do not call list, if you remember that, and what a joke that was. I think that worked for all of us, you know, a hot minute, and then they quickly ignored that. Uh, but you know, ignored it or used it as a target list. <laughs> exactly. I think in some cases you're absolutely right that it was, uh, oh, well, you know, here's a list of good phone numbers, so I can hammer on those. But um, Eric Berger, the, at the time, you know, the CTO at the FCC, a uh, good friend of mine, um, pointed out one time, he said, you know, we've, we've created this monster by making telephone calls so inexpensive. Uh, that we've ina- basically enabled it, that, that the business model of robocalls um, works because we've made telephone calling, especially international telephone calling, virtually free. And there's no financial disincentive for, for those illegal robocalls to be generated you know, outside North America, which is where the majority of them come from. So it's our job as an industry to fix it. And one of the key things that we've done is is part of a bigger solution is you know as as we started with the topic is is creating stir shaken as a mechanism to at least tag the calls so that we know where they're coming from and there's attached with that some level of attestation and and what you know for those who aren't familiar with stir shaken that basically means is one of three states either i know who i know the customer that's making this call and if need be i could put you know i could go right back to that customer and have a conversation with them about their behavior or b we have a i have a general idea where it came from because it came from a trunk line or some you know wholesale circuit or c i don't know where this call came from but i'm at least signing it so that when if a traceback is requested at least we know from a general area where it came from and you know, I think there was high hopes with Stir Shaken that it would just put an end to all the robocalls. But the reality is that's not really what Stir Shaken was designed to do. It was designed mostly to to create breadcrumbs through the telephone network so that we could figure out who was making these calls, who follow the breadcrumbs back to the source of them, and start to get a handle on it. And we and really right now we're kind of in that situation uh, that we're able to now. You know, do tracebacks much more reliably. Uh, unfortunately, the robocalls continue, and I think almost everybody who has a telephone or a mobile phone knows, you know, that they're still happening. Uh, and in some cases, uh, the, the robocallers have, you know, figured out figured out a way to outwit the the service providers' robocall mitigation plans that they've put into place. And that's kind of the challenge where we are now, which is, you know, the Really, what we have to do is we have to, to you know, resolve some of these issues, so that uh, consumers will start to trust the telephone network and they'll actually answer their phone. It's very impactful, to say the least. Hopefully, one of the interesting things is uh, back in early July, the FCC, or actually end of June, early July, the FCC turned around and said, "All you small carriers that were going to be given." another year to implement nope you're required to implement today which was a crazy short notice for them but hopefully this will have a good effect because it means that there's no more loopholes right right yeah no matter we've played um 
an important role in helping a lot of the service providers implement stir shake and we you know our session border controllers and media gateways are a point of either entry or exit for calls in and out of networks and it's the place where often where stir shaking is implemented or robocall mitigation is implemented is at the edge of the network when it's either entering or exiting the network and yes the short notice or the change of uh, deadline really caused quite a bit of angst by a lot of the smaller service providers who thought they had more time. Uh, and I think part of the reason the FCC did that was twofold. One of them is the technology is, exists now. You know, three, four years ago, nobody was really sure how we were going to implement this. You know, who are the players in the market? What technology providers had solutions to be able to implement stir shaking? And that has resolved itself, right? There's enough vendors of you know, probably, you know, 10 or 15 vendors that can provide this technology, you know, right on the spot. And secondly, I also think the problem is so bad that they wanted to, instead of waiting another year, let's just get it done, you know, basically rip the Band-Aid off and get it over with. And we've noticed, by the way, we've, you know, been working with some of the um, stir shaking authentication verification platforms. And looking at some of the statistics, matter of fact, one of our alliance partners, TransNexus, does, has a great blog that reports on a monthly basis on the status of the uh, of the robocall mitigation market. You know, you're still you're seeing somewhere upwards of seventy percent of the calls on the network are are being attested to, but the robocalls continue uh, even with many times with attestation. So now the conversation is, okay, how are these calls getting into the network, right? We've kind of reached that phase where let's go follow the breadcrumbs and figure out how this call or the calls of this nature are getting into the network. And what we're finding, it's, it's like right out of a spy novel. It's just unbelievable. The effort, uh, that these, uh, you know, the bad guys go through to figure out a way around uh, any kind of robocall mitigation me methodologies is just astonishing. But, you know, it's just, it's a spy versus spy kind of uh, battle that we're going to be uh, doing for a long, long time. But it is starting to take effect. And that's the key thing is that I think the robocalls are down somewhere around 30% overall. And with 70% of them being signed, now we can go back to the source and figure out where they're coming from. So I think, I think it's improving. But the one area that, that we, you know, we were discussing at one of the, the conferences this summer was the importance of know your customer. Now, this is part of the overall picture, which is if, you know, if a service provider just lets anybody get a handful of DIDs and lets them go to town, you know, that's how they're getting in. And in some cases, it's just plain old fraudulent behavior on the customer's part. You know, they sign up either with uh, fictitious or in some cases stolen identities of companies and then once they get the telephone numbers then they abuse them or they use these little techniques called snowshoeing which is where they you know abuse a set of numbers slightly for a while and then they move on to a different set of numbers and they abuse them slightly and then come back to the first ones at some point so that you know they basically stay below the radar uh, when it comes to, you know, the abuse algorithms. So it, uh, you know, it continues. And I think the algorithms are getting better. I think people are getting smarter about who they let on the network. And the net of all this is hopefully, you know, the customer experience is improving and improving, at least reducing the robocalls. 
And as a side benefit of all this is that, you know, very soon you're going to start seeing logos and information arise on your phone uh, with those calls. That's another attribute of Stir Shaken is, is the rich call data features. And, you know, if your phone rings and it's from your bank, there'll be their logo on the screen and you'll know that it's indeed, you know, your bank that's calling you and not someone trying to, you know, scam you some way or another. So that, that one worries me a little. Excuse me? That one worries me a little because, as you say, they're using stolen data. So yeah. Yeah. partially you can be using stolen data with somebody else's logo and pretending to be them. Uh, and the other side is, is most landline phones where they still exist don't have the ability to display that data. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, traditional landline phones obviously don't have displays, and so you're not going to be able to present that. But I think the realization is that the world is moving to, you know, to a mobile world, and for the service provider that's doing, uh, you know, that's doing the uh, verification service, you know, be able to put a logo into the call with a rich call data, it, you know, it's obviously going to be secured. And it's much like emails, right? When emails, you know, we have, in, you know, encryption on a lot of our emails so that, uh, you know, if you do get an email, it, it's easy to tell whether or not it's spoofed or not. So, yeah, with the HTTPS, you know, you can secure the origin of a lot of things through the, you know, the, the keys. How do you see this is going to affect or improve customer experience? Yeah, so I think you know one is reducing the you know the incidents of illegal robocalls, and and by the way, you know it's important to remember too. There's a lot of good robocalls that are out there, right? You get a call from your pharmacy that your your medications are ready, or from the school that schools are going to be closed today, or your bank that you know something's wrong with your account and genuinely the account, right? You know the a transaction or something didn't go through. I mean, there's good robocalls, but it's the illegal ones that need to be stamped out. I think res resolving that is, is is job number one. Job number two, I think, then is augmenting, you know, the calling experience with this rich call data. You know, improving the knowledge that you that is conveyed in the in the called, you know, the calling information that says you a that this is indeed the person. We can verify that it is indeed the caller, and secondly, you know, something that you can use to recognize or include you know purpose for the call you know why are they calling can be included in that rich call data that so, would be nice yeah no i think it'll eventually make a big difference and then it'll bring confidence i think back to the telecommunications network and probably the biggest fear for me right now is is that you know is is the battle lost before the solution is implemented you know that um, trust in the telephone network is critical, right? There's a lot of commerce that happens over the telephone network, you know, a lot more than just personal calls, right? There's bank transactions and authentications and two-factor authentications, a lot of this stuff. And we need to be able to trust that those calls are indeed who they are. I would agree. You divided robocalls into, I'll call it two categories, but I think it's really three. So one is legitimate and desired calls. The second is illegitimate and undesired calls uh, or the illegal calls. But 
as we're getting ready to go into the midterm uh, election season, you're going to have legitimate undesired calls because politicians, et cetera, are exempted from the robocall rules. And this is this is going to be a constant, we fix some of it, but we don't fix others of it. And people are still going to be hesitant about answering any call from a number they don't personally recognize. Yeah, they, no, I mean, you, very good point that there is, you know, le there are legal robocalls that come from political parties and not for profits or anyone that you do actually do business with, you know, has the rights um, to call you unsolicited and they can use automated systems to do that. And yeah, election season is a very painful season. I am just hoping that, you know, that the, that the political campaigns begin to realize that that's kind of a lost cause too and that they tone it down but we'll see we'll see that you know 15 years ago when they first started doing it uh i think you know i think it was proven to be highly effective the last few elections i'm not so sure it was so effective so it'll be interesting to see where that goes that's been changing a lot now one of the things we've noticed is during covid with all of the people working from home, employees from companies or hospitals or doctor's offices were making the calls from their own cell phone or landline number. So somebody would call to the hospital to schedule an appointment, leave a voice message because nobody was there to take the call. Somebody would pick up the voice message, call from their home number, leave a voice message, then you have to call them back, which obviously screwed up the whole concept of GDPR and HIPAA privacy and all of that stuff. But because, partially because of this whole robocall thing, oh, that's a number I don't recognize. I'm not going to answer it rather than, oh, that's the hospital's number calling. Uh, I'm going to answer it. And that's this is part of the, the, I guess, the impact of what you're describing. And the question is, can we clean that up with better enriched data to say, oh, this person is actually calling and it's, a, it's from the hospital, even though it's not necessarily the hospital's main number. Right. Well, I think that, that part of the fault of some of that is is some legacy telecommunications equipment at the hospital and some of those other enterprises right that we're still depending on a traditional switch and traditional telephone numbers i think now with the you know with the adoption of cloud-based communication solutions it's easier for an employee to go home either take a phone with them or use a soft client to continue to work and you know work remote and i think that the, really the pandemic is another probably whole conversation we could have about the impact of the pandemic and what's happened on the unified communications and ippbx and uc markets because no toys about it you know five years of evolution happened in like six months when it came to the <laughs> pandemic and i think it's widely regarded matter of fact the last enterprise connect i went to you know three or four of the main keynotes the the keynotes from microsoft and zoom and webex and others they all noted you know here was you know here we are back together again after what two years of, of being apart and as an industry the people in that room basically saved untold commercial entities by um, giving them the ability to have employees work from home that otherwise would have to almost completely shut down it was saved i was reading recently jp morgan and bank of america are both under a lot of trouble for letting their people use their own personal cell phones uh, because in that industry you're required to store 
all of the call data, all of the yeah. details about it. And if it's on a personal phone, you lose all of the transaction data. Like in the UK, yes. you're required to do the FCA compliance where you have to record right. prefax, SMS, text, whatever you send to somebody has to be recorded in two places. So the, the, the pandemic and the work from home stuff have gotten a little... Yeah, there was a... No, it's a way about it. There were some rules that got broken during the pandemic just to keep things going. And that was, you know, that's honestly, it's just a risk reward decision by either but the that, banks there's a difference of, I did the first three months or the first six months, and I'd done it for two years and didn't care. Yeah. yeah one I can true. overlook, and the other one now the regulators are coming back and starting to slap down on. Yeah. So the same, the same concept with uh, calls and who's running it and how it's running. Shake insert, all of this stuff is beginning to come back and yeah. nail people. I mean, how many? Well, trying to get people back on track, right? I mean, that's that. I think that's probably the most important thing is we get the behavior back to where it belongs. And you know, there's probably no toys about it. I mean, I'm sure people were like, "Well, this is sure is convenient. I can just use my cell phone to call my customer." It's you know, it's far more convenient than having to go through your you know the normal process, but. Yes, it's it's not proper behavior, and in some cases, is illegal behavior. And especially if it's the person's personal cell phone, you know, then it gets even stickier. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's uh, it's going to take a little while to undo some of that. But I mean, the, on the positive side, though, I mean, recognizing the positive side of the changes, you know, here we are in Zoom call, the recording this podcast. You know, four or five years ago, you couldn't imagine working from home and be able to do this kind of work remotely. Uh, look at how much television today, you know, the, the talking head uh, news programs are still interviewing people on either WebEx or Zoom or whatever is the primary means to have a, you know, a guest come in and participate in a panel discussion. You know, they used to fly those people in to go to New York to sit in a studio uh, with lights and makeup, and now they, you know, they bring them in from their library uh, at home. So, yeah, it's changed well, the way the world has worked. Well, they used to do some of that with Skype, especially for like uh, reporters from the field or combat sure. area. Uh, yep. So you had to do that, and, and Skype was kind of like the beginning of where we have gotten to now. And yep. to be honest, I haven't heard I haven't heard anybody outside of the Far East or China talk about wanting to do Skype calls. It's <laughs> Zoom, it's Team, it's it's whatever tool they want. But very rarely do you hear Skype. I mean, personally, I use Skype just because I want to call U.S. toll-free numbers when I'm yeah. not in the U.S. Right. Uh, and it's right. the only thing I have Skype still for. Yeah. And yeah. I use Teams for almost all of my business communications now. You know, you set up a conference call and you provide a link and that's that's how you communicate with people. You know, rarely do I use anything else. And honestly, I, I, you know, want to change PCs. I don't know if the Skype client came with it, to tell you the truth. I kind of <laughs> lost track of that. Yeah, that, that, that makes perfect sense. And th this all comes back to the same concept of what tools and how people are communicating. The pandemic have has changed a lot. And it's like, okay, Shake and Stir handles the mobile and to some degree the landlines that still exist. But the rest of the customer experience, the customer calls, mostly we're talking about calls out from companies to customers. But both directionals uh, have gone into this whole kind of omni-channel concept yeah. where 
okay, I can use a mobile phone, I can use Twitter, I can use Skype, I can use WhatsApp, I can use WeChat, I can use Instagram, I can use Facebook Messenger, and suddenly the channels and the options, you know who you're speaking to, at least the customer is known and the company is known, if not the actual agent. And this has changed immensely. And in spite of the push towards chatbots, texting and stuff, voice is not going away. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. It's There's lots of different ways. I mean, it's almost frightening sometimes to, when you look at, you know, you see, matter of fact, you look at your contact database and you say, okay, which medium should I use to contact this person? Is, is this person... Exactly. Is this person a telephone person? Is this person, you know, a, a Skype person? Is this person a WeChat? You know, how do I communicate to this person? And some, sometimes it's a little daunting. Message? Yeah. Yeah. It's especially, huge. Yeah. And especially when you're asking, you know, either people of limited means or elderly to, you know, communicate, it's sometimes it's tough. You remember those days of the pandemic, the first time I had to get my in-laws computer set up so that they could join a Zoom call. <laughs> There's probably yes. an SNL skit that needs to be made yet uh, about trying to get, uh, you know, some of the elderly relatives on the call. It was just brutal those first couple times. Well, yeah, that led to the memes of uh, Zoom calls being the modern seances. Yeah. Are you there? Please make a sound if you're really there. Yeah, um, exactly. Or, or the other one where people taking the opening clips to the Muppets and saying, now I know what Zoom calls remind me of. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and personally, I, I always found that uh, maybe I'm just an old, too old for it, but I always found the original opening to the Brady Bunch to be much closer to what your modern Zoom call looks like with those nine little boxes of yeah, people exactly. looking at each other rather than the, the Muppets, but... I, I think uh, the test of the customer experience is trying to talk my wife's uncle into changing his tablet from the front camera to back camera, <laughs> vice versa. Yes, I can see you, uh, on a Zoom you can call. see me, but I can't, we can't do both. Yeah, yeah. If you can accomplish that, you can accomplish anything, right? <laughs> Definitely. But I mean, yeah. it's gone to weddings, funerals, major family events. In some yeah. cases, the bride and the groom aren't necessarily even in the same location because they're being yeah. married across digital media. Uh, yeah. So it, it's the world has changed. How much it will revert back and how much we will continue to use some of this stuff is going to be a very interesting situation to watch. Oh, yeah. But one thing will remain, and that is you will call your doctor's office and you will have an unusually large, long list of choices that none of them are actually what you need. <laughs> well, that, that was the IVR with Allison. Um, yeah, yeah. Where, if, if, you have, if you have more than five choices on a menu, you've done it wrong. It should be no more than three, preferably. And yeah, so there's a lot of problems. I mean, she threw in a couple of amusing ones where there were agencies that were companies that were embracing their their business so she talked about one where it was a, a company that publishes murder mysteries and they, apparently she voiced and it was it was a dark and stormy night and she pressed one for accounting <laughs> this is when you use the, the, the ivr to really be useful not yeah. to be a, a long maze to prevent people from actually talking to no. people one of my doctors i because you know i do a lot of work with allison right with her, her voiceover work and and uh, we have a running joke about it. one of my doctor's offices. You call them, and the f first two minutes is nothing but 
them telling you their address, telling you their fax number, telling you all this other information, basically so that you don't leave a message or you don't get through. You know, it's it's basically a, a giant fence of trying to get rid of people instead of yeah. trying to help people. And I, you know, when you go into the doctor's office and say, who manages your telephone network, your telephone equipment? Oh, I don't know, so it's a contract company that does that. I said, uh, we need to have a conversation. I'm in the business and it is terrible. So, yeah, improving the customer experience on telecommunications is, I think, is is number job one. Definitely, it's it's the front face to your business, and if you don't kind of deal with that, both inbound and outbound, you're doing yourself and your customers a disservice. Absolutely. So, on that note, I think uh, I think we're going to call it a quips. We're just about at the end yep. of our thirty minute block for this. Thank you for joining me, and uh, looking forward to chatting with you and eventually getting to see you in person again. Yes, no, I look forward to that. I appreciate your hosting my uh, thoughts and wants. <laughs> so it's so good to see Eric. Thanks again for Same having here. me. Our pleasure, and thank you very much. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of the CX Verse. Please sign up to learn about future episodes. We are looking for feedback and new speakers, so please be in touch.